Welcome to the STEMness Podcast, a podcast produced at the Cohen College of Engineering at the University of Houston, aimed at celebrating trailblazing women in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. You will hear industry leaders, engineering researchers, and female faculty members at the Cullen College talk about their journeys in STEM and how their work impacts the next generation of female STEMinists. I'm Michelle Patrick Kruger. I'm a PhD student in electrical engineering, and I'm one of your hosts for the STEMinist podcast. Thank you for tuning into this episode, and I hope you enjoy. Wait, let me ask. Let's go back a second. You were writing with Buzz Aldrin. I mean... That's pretty major, I think. What was that like? Oh, it was a blast. I mean, he was my childhood hero. I, I mean, I was at horseback riding camp when he was walking on the moon, and I was pointing to the Sea of Tranquility to my fellow campers, saying, they're up there, they're up there. And and I had a poster of him on my wall at home. I mean, it was, it was, it was really quite amazing. But when I met him at, uh, when he was on the board of directors of the... Um, National Space Society, um, and Major Roddenberry was there from Star Trek too. She was on the board, and so was Nich- Nichelle Nichols was on the board of governors. So I, I got to tell Nichelle how she was my role model, and she said that is just so sweet and sad at the same time that you didn't have an actual astronaut, but now you do. And I was like, yes, now we do. But um, I, I know she just passed away uh, a few weeks ago, um, but she she was a ins- huge inspiration to so many people. So, so people say, well, you were just sitting in the bar having a drink with, uh, with Majel, you know, what was that? You know, the, Buzz did not drink. He had quit drinking by then. His, uh, he, he was very open about after he left NASA that he had a problem, and he went and took care of it, and, and he's been fine ever since, and you know, it's, I, I think it's amazing. He's a very real person, he's a, and he, he met all my expectations of a hero. Some people don't measure up when you meet him in person, but he, he totally does. And he's a gentleman, and he's, he's just a, a fantastic uh, role model for a lot of people. And he was always out there talking about space uh, and Mars. And he, he, um, he's also a genius. I think people forget just how special those guys were. Um, he was the first astronaut that had a PhD. And um, so he... He had come up with uh, a, something called cyclers uh, to Mars, and and so when we were going to do this children's book, and he'd been out talking about cyclers to Mars, and it's sort of like setting up a, a, a railroad to Mars and back uh, that repeats uh, a repeating orbit, and um, I, I said I have to put that in the book. He said, uh, well, uh, and he started in on how on, on the case that he would actually and I said, let's just simplify it. This is a book for children. And I didn't want to tell him in the public <laughs> because nobody really understands this like you do, uh, the, all this orbital mechanics. I, th- I think I can do this. So um, I explained about cyclers in that in the Welcome to Mars was the title of the book. And and um, I think one of the biggest compliments I ever got in my life was when he was he was being interviewed on some TV show. And he said he learned something from me by reading the book <laughs> that we, we finally ended up with. Because I had to write the whole book. He didn't write for kids. And explaining it in, in terms that children and basically the public could understand uh, was, was um, my job. <laughs> and, so, and we would get together on, on um, Zoom calls and whatever and talk 
uh, I'd say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna cover this this topic this way. Is, is that consistent with your vision? And he said, I want to put something in there about Phobos. I think we should go to Phobos because he had this idea of, of going to Phobos, and he's talked about it uh, in some various other things. I said, well, okay, let's do that. And and so we talked about how how we could explain this uh, to kids and. That book won the um, National Science Teacher Association Best STEM Book Award, and I, I was just hugely tickled because I, I know that they looked at the book not because Buzz Aldrin's name was on there, but because of the content, and and I was responsible for what content we chose to go in there, and so I, I felt like that just, I felt like maybe my physics degree didn't go to waste after all. <laughs> Some people have accused me that. You you got went to all that trouble to get that physics degree, and you're writing children's books. And I bet, what's more important than explaining science to children? I mean, exactly. Yeah. Wow, that's that's such amazing well experience story. The whole thing, and you know what? I'm really glad that you did that to share with the rest of us about Mars and and actually to share Buzz Aldrin's knowledge in terms we can understand. I know as a PhD student and. Uh, maybe a little older than average PhD student. Um, I hear that people talking in their own their own language and, and they're saying things that aren't always that difficult to understand if they would just use the same terms other people would use. And it's wonderful to be able to inspire children that you were able to inspire children and others by turning the lingo into language. Yeah, and, and, um, and I, I do the same thing with the science fiction. Um, because Star Trek was hugely important to me to be able to visualize myself in on the starship uh, in in, a, in that kind of job, and a lot of the fiction that I read during that time um, didn't have women characters. The main characters were always men, uh, but I could I, I had brothers. I could kind of relate to that, and but um, I, I think it's important that. Um, there's fiction out there with characters that all people from different backgrounds can relate to. And so um, I, if my first stories, I had men as the main characters. I thought, why am I doing that? I, I don't think it would stop me from getting published if I made my main character a woman. And so I did. And um, I'm, I wrote uh, some science fiction for kids too, but short stories that they were in some anthologies. And I had girls say, oh, I just really love that character. She was doing an experiment. And I like to do experiments. And, and I said, I always like doing experiments too. And, and um, that's how we learn about the world is we ask questions, we do experiments and see, is it really, uh, if I put a piece of black paper and a piece of white paper in the sun, does the black paper actually get hotter? If I have a, a jug of water and I put, some Kool-Aid in it, and does it get hotter than the than the clear one? And I stick the thermometer in there and see. Well, by golly, it does. <laughs> and so I prove it to myself. And and uh, I think it's very important, especially today. And there's so much misinformation out there. Um, to to go and do a do a check on it yourself. Go do an experiment and see. Is that is that really the way it works? <laughs> and and also just to have that vision for the future. Um, space offers a really positive future for us. Uh, and, and so we don't get bogged down in fighting over that last drop of oil or the last clean piece of a bit of water or 
piece of farmable land, we look up and there's a universe of resources up there, starting with the moon. And, and I, I, when I go out and give talks, I try to let people know, hey, you know, the moon, the surface of the moon is equivalent to a, a whole continent on Earth, all of Africa and Australia put together. There's a lot of stuff up there. And now we know there's water up there, so we can, we can make our air, we can make our fuel, uh, and we can use it as our, as our gas station to go everywhere else. And, and we can follow that cycler that Buzz came up with and, and head out to Mars. And I think we're going to do it. Uh, it's taking a lot longer than I had hoped. I thought I'd be raising my family in space back in the 80s. <laughs> but um, I'm glad that the opportunity is coming soon. Nice. Well, I'm going to go back to the books real quick, but because I wanted you to tell me, I know you've you've shifted from the children's books, or you've integrated. I'm not sure the orders, but you've just recently published a new book. So can you tell me a little bit about the book you've recently published? Um, yeah, after I did my memoir, which is which covers how I got to NASA and what I did at NASA on those first flights up up through Challenger, um, I had a lot of materials in my closet, uh, just tons of photos, notes, uh, documents and stuff. I started sorting through it because the uh, University of Houston Clear Lake uh, campus has the, the NASA Johnson Space Center archive and I was donating my materials uh, to that archive and so I was sorting through and pulling out the stuff that, that would be appropriate to donate and I found the manuscript that I had written back in the 1992 um, called Shuttle Mission Control. And I had gone around and interviewed some one or two people from each console position in Mission Control, asking them, what did you do? What was the flight that were a problem you had to solve? And I picked people mostly based on who the flight director had selected to hang the plaque in Mission Control. Because at the end of every flight, the flight director would choose one console position uh, as having contributed the most to this, the success of this particular flight. So, so the, the, there was a, a monumental spacewalk on this flight and all kinds of things went wrong with it, but the, the person working the EVA console came through and worked it and got it all figured out so they would be the one to hang the plaque that, that flight, for example. So I had gathered all these stories and had written it into a book and I, I had an agent at the time and I sent it to her and she was like, this is too narrowly focused. Nobody cares about what people are doing in mission control. You know, it's, you know, they want to hear about the astronauts. They want to hear about flight controllers. So, um, so there wasn't any market. So I stuck it in the closet and here it was. And I, I, it was typewritten on paper. Like, oh, let's see if I, I, I kind of, if I donate this to the archive, no one will ever know what all this stuff is. And they'll never hear these stories, and these stories are, are just gems. I, I had, I mean, some of the people that I interviewed have since passed on, and I thought, I bet their kids would want to read this if nobody else would. So, um, and, and here it was, along comes COVID. I was starting to think about putting this together into a book. And along came the, the COVID lockdowns and whatever, and, and we got our stimulus check. And I'm like, I have to scan all this stuff, and I have to convert it all into computer files and digitize all the, the slides and all this stuff. 
and I, I'm going to have to pay somebody to help me because I can't, there's no way I'll ever get it done. And I wanted it to be, I wanted to appropriately recognize these people. So I, I took the um, materials to one of my friends that I worked with, the, the Rotary National Award for Space Achievement. Um, it's a foundation that recognizes contribution to space. Every year they give the National Space Trophy. I've been doing program books for them for a dozen years. And the woman that um, helped me with that, she does the layout and stuff. Her name's Lindsay Cousins. And I said, I bet Lindsay could do this layout and design for me. But she deserves to be paid. I mean, she's another working mom, right? <laughs> and I thought, so I got my stimulus check, handed it over to Lindsay. I said, could you get me a cover <laughs> for this book? And then, then the second stimulus check, and could you do the layout for me and <laughs> design this so that it looks professional? And, and she, she did, and it came out beautifully. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased with the way it came out. And I, I, got, I bought the ISBN, and I wanted to make sure I controlled the rights, but I published it on Amazon and um, immediately um, gave away 50 copies to all those people that helped me. This is a huge team of people that I'm um, grateful to. And then I go out and give talks about, the, about Mission Control, because I'm now the uh, Mission Control historian. Um, there's a group called the Man Spaceflight Operations Association. I would have named it Human Spaceflight, but whatever. <laughs> I can be included in that term. Uh, anyway, we, uh, we are encouraging people to donate materials to the archive and um, the NASA Alumni League, which I'm also in. Uh, it's all former employees of NASA. We're, we're funding an intern to help uh, help them sort all the contributions that come in. and I'm involved with that. So um, having the book, uh, capturing those stories and so that people can actually know what we did in Mission Control. And, and uh, if, if uh, you're a student listening to this and you're thinking might want to have a job of, like that in Flight Control, you can read these stories and see what these people do uh, on, and what kinds of problems they're faced with. And so the, the console positions have different names for Artemis and Orion and other programs, but very similar because all spacecraft have engines, and so there's got to be somebody in charge of that, and they're all going to have life support systems, so somebody's going to be in charge of that, and they're going to have crew members, and someone's going to be watching over them. And so the kinds of jobs that we did in shuttle will be very similar uh, to the ones um, that they're doing today. Um, and in fact, one of them is exactly the same. Flight Dynamics Officer, uh, we call him FIDO, and the guy that I interviewed for my shuttle mission control is a FIDO for the, this upcoming Artemis flight. <laughs> he, he left and went and did other things for a number of years and he just said, you know, I just love that job and I want to go back. I want to go back and do that and, and so he's, he's doing that, that job again and I'm like, I've got a little bit jealous. I'm thinking, wow, that would be fun. <laughs> So I'm going to go ahead and put this in here, just at the time that we're recording this, um, right now Artemis is out on the launch pad. Um, I know Vanessa Waishi, who's the director of Johnson Space Center, has been posting loads of pictures on LinkedIn about Artemis and where they're at and expected flight date. It hasn't, has nothing's happened yet, but they're still determining. But probably when you listen to this, uh, we'll, it'll have already, this will already be passed. But I do, on a side note, I want to say that it's fantastic that you've done this with all of the flight 
and mission control, flight controllers. I know, and, and typically I don't talk about myself, but I'm going to throw this out there. My stepfather was a member of NASA and he was someone who was pretty well known from the Apollo days. And one of the coolest things about having him as my stepfather and helping him out with many of the many projects he does is being able to sit around with the NASA Alumni League and listen to these guys just chit chat. And they would talk about things I would have never dreamed was you know, was an issue. And to be able to have those captured and written the stories, it's phenomenal. I know there's a lot of other people like me who are sitting there going, wow, really? That was a deal? That was, that was something? <laughs> and, and like the, the, the sinking of, and the mean, like the flight and the boots, how far they would sink in the dirt on the moon, that, that was a huge issue at the time. Like, you know, I know. I never heard that before. Yeah, are you, are you going to be up to your eyebrows in dust? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. And, and so I have to say, personally, I'm so glad that someone captured that because, you know, the, the regular people, the astronauts are the superstars, but the superstars don't get where they're at without a whole team of support people. And those stories are just as interesting, many times even more interesting, in my opinion. Well, there's many more of them to be told, uh, and I hope that somebody is capturing the stories of the Artemis group now, um, because they're living it, they think it's just going to, everybody will know this, right? No. Ten years from now, they're going to say, Artemis, what? <laughs> or, or they're going to say, you were involved with the Artemis? It could go either way, you just don't know, because yeah. you are we are right now, but I would encourage those people working in that program to... Uh, Take notes, keep a journal. That's what I, people say, how do you remember all of this? I said, I don't remember it. That's why I'm a writer. I write everything down. <laughs> and I made tapes and uh, and I, I went back to those. And that, that's the material that's going into the archives, which is why it's so important to have those archives. And um, so, yeah. That's really good. I had never, honestly, you know, you go about your day-to-day -day life, you don't really think about what's the historic implications. For yeah, you don't think that you're in the middle of history, but you are. Everyone is. Right. Well, I'm going to wrap this up with just one last question. And you have mentioned it, and we of course have mentioned it here, the Artemis program. We're going back to the moon. Um, it's being led essentially with Vanessa Weishi as the director of Johnson Space Center. And the um, Orion program, the assistant director is uh, Debbie Korth, who we may be interviewing, depending on if she has time. Um, and so there's a lot of women who have really played a huge role in making this happen. How does that make you feel to see this? I, I'm just very proud of all of them. Uh, and But I'm not at all surprised because uh, I, the women that I knew at NASA all of them were amazing and very talented and smart and well-educated and articulate. And I can just see see what the fruits of their labors have, have brought. And I'm not surprised that given the opportunity, they jumped on those jobs and, and did well at them and moved up. And, and they, they're showing girls today that they can do this and now they don't have to have fictional role models. They can have real life role models, and that's that's huge. Um, 
but I also, I don't want to say, take away from the women who choose to stay home with their children either. I, I think you can have different parts of your life. Maybe you want to take off a few years to be home with your children when they're young. And there's nothing wrong with that either. There will still be life after children. You could even have a second career, go back to school later. So there's multiple different ways to do it, and there are women out there who have tried them all. And, and so whatever your particular circumstances are, you can find them. And the main thing I want them to know is that you're not alone. There is somebody out there who will be happy to talk to you about your options, and you can find mentors now. That's, that's one of the big things about these women being in these positions, that they can mentor others. And NASA has an active mentoring program where they assign new, new hires to someone more senior in the organizations to help mentor them through the process. And, um, and that's very important to have those mentors. So I'm, I, if I can help somehow, um, you, you can find me online at MarianneDyson.com and send me an email or find me on Facebook and you can see pictures of my kitty. <laughs> and uh, if, I can, if I can help you somehow and point you to some resources, I'd be happy to do that. Thank you very much. It's really wonderful of you to offer that. And, you know, truly, thank you very much for joining us and allowing me to interview and share your stories with us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Steminist Podcast. Tune in next time where we'll be hearing from more amazing women in STEM. Want to listen to more podcast episodes? Check out our podcast website at www.egr.uh.edu to listen and subscribe today.